by now. I'm talking about Chi-Town. and taking it out of the air. Lord Stanley's new address is sweet home Chicago. The Chicago Blackhawks have won the Stanley Cup. Maybe we could start again. Welcome into another episode of the Second City Show. I'm your host, Patrick Flowers, and today is Wednesday, November 27th, and this is the first installment of a series that we're going to be rolling out and revisiting uh, on a semi-regular basis called Sox Social, where we bring in some of the best minds from around the White Sox social media stratosphere, whether that be Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, uh, you name it. There's there's great minds out there, and uh, we want to give them a chance to be heard. Uh, our first guest in the Sox Social series today is Joe Lorenzana. Joe's the creator and the administrator of the Chicago White Sox exclusive Facebook fan community, which has just shy of 1,800 members. Um, And you can find it on Facebook by just typing Chicago White Sox exclusive in the search bar. If you're not already a member of it, make sure you go ahead and join that. Joe does a really good job of making sure that all the content and discussion on there is relevant and interesting and that everybody's treating each other with respect. It's not like some fan pages where everybody's just talking shit and degrading each other. It's actually a pretty nice environment. Um, you can find Joe on Twitter as well at myself 14 And Joe is also a season ticket holder, and he has been for a while. He attends a lot of ball games. He attends road games. Um... Sox Fest. So we're going to talk to Joe about the Chicago White Sox exclusive fan page. We're going to talk to him about his experiences as a season ticket holder, what he wants to see moving forward. We're going to get his opinions on the current state of the White Sox and a little bit more. But first, let's get into a little bit of White Sox news and notes before we speak with Joe. According to Future Sox, the White Sox uh, designated reliever Ryan Burr for assignment on Tuesday evening. Uh, Burr underwent Tommy John surgery in late June, and according to Rob Young of Future Sox, he resumed throwing last Monday. That would be November 18th. Uh, The move would put the White Sox 40-man roster at 38 as of today. However, the move has not been confirmed by the team yet. Uh, Of course, Burr Still can rejoin the organization if he makes it through waivers. Uh, he'll be outrighted into the minor leagues. So keep an eye on that. Remember, Burr opened the season last year on the opening day roster and was expected to be a part of the bullpen moving forward. So we'll keep you updated there. But now we're going to welcome in Joe Lorenzana, the creator of Chicago White Sox exclusive. Hey, Joe, welcome in. Thanks for joining us today. What's up? <laughs> uh, not much, man. Just trying to beat the crappy weather today and get ready for Thanksgiving tomorrow. Yeah, that's, yeah. We 
we definitely have to still put that together. We're waiting until the uh, until tonight to get all the stuff. Unfortunately, um, I don't think that we're going to get everything because we're doing it at the last second. Yeah, I I actually have nothing to get ready for. I don't know why I said get ready for Thanksgiving. I did my Thanksgivings uh, this past weekend with my parents and and my in-laws. Who, so we're not doing anything except laying around and watching TV tomorrow. NBC Sportsnet's got uh, White Sox games on tomorrow for Thanksgiving. For those of us who would rather not watch the Bears put on another embarrassing performance, you gonna be tuning in? Yeah, uh, they got three of them. I think ten, four, and seven or eight. I think, yeah, there was four of them that were on at, search, I think, at 10 a.m. Uh, I already know what the, the conclusions are of those games because I was either at them or watching them. So. Right. Speaking of <laughs> at them, you're, you're a season ticket holder for the White Sox. How long have you been a season ticket holder, Joe? Uh, since 2007. 2007. Okay, so uh, 12 years now. That's a, long, that's a while. Um, yeah, 13 seasons. You know, they, we signed up right after the 06 season, and I'll get into that of why that happened. Um, it's the, the reason why, basically, uh, at 06, it counts as 06, even though we, it's weird how they have it because we get a pin an extra year, but we really we weren't season ticket holders in 06. So actually, they consider this our 14th year or 14th season coming up, but it really not. Mm-hmm. So you guys, um, you and your wife, Monica, you guys attend most of the games together, correct? Yes, we go to uh, at least 60 games a year. 60, that's awesome. Um, you guys also both pretty much have a hand in running Chicago White Sox exclusive, which is a Facebook uh, fan community, a well-run one at that. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. You guys are at about 2,000 followers now, and I know you kind of started over. We talked about this um, when you guys started that page up. You were starting fresh. You had a you were involved in a larger-scale Facebook group as well prior to that. Can you tell me a little bit about all that? Yeah, it, the, the, uh, the direction that the larger-scale Facebook page was in was not something we were interested in going. It was becoming overly negative, and we're more... Uh, into the minor leagues and uh, just keeping people informed of how the rebuild was doing. So we broke away, um, started our own page. It started last year, I think, in the beginning of October. So we're close to 2,000 after a year, which isn't bad. Not um, no. I'm not expecting anything, and I'm not recruiting anybody. It's just it's happening by word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of take a, a, a realistic approach the game you know we're not overly confident and we're not overly you know negative about anything we're just letting things happen as opposed to you know trying to second guess everything they do or you know question why you know they spent a certain amount of money on a certain player you know that it's it's stuff to talk about it's not you know there's no no right or wrong answers right i mean i i was in quite a few of those facebook groups um Previously, I got out of all of them. Your group's the only one I'm in because, like you said, it's there's just it's not filled with so much negativity. You can go there, you can be caught up on information that you might have missed otherwise. Uh, you got a lot of good, dedicated people there who share and, and and put the stuff out there, and you can just have a healthy conversation about your favorite team and not worry about getting 
berated and attacked for your opinion like you will in other places. Correct. That's, I mean, that's the main reason why. I mean, posting an article with someone else's opinion or, you know, written by a different author and you were being attacked for it, it's like, uh, I didn't write this. I don't know why you're attacking me personally. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, wait a second, this is not of my opinion. Yeah. It, it was. It just got to the point of being ridiculous, so it was time, you know, it was time to break off and just, you know, make people aware of what's going on from all the way down to the Dominican Summer League, which is, you know, something that we try to do, even though it wasn't really heavily covered this year, but Arizona was all the way up to, of course, Charlotte. So that's something we were we're trying to get people interested in is really the minor leagues and understand why you that's important to build a sustainable winner going forward. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we've heard Rick Hahn say it. She's got to be 100 times now over the last three to four years that, you know, the sustainable growth from the major league level all the way down to the lowest level of their affiliates is got to be taken with the utmost seriousness, not just building on a major league roster, because we've seen that before. We've, we know what it feels like to have a pretty good major league roster and a really shitty farm system and, and not having much to look forward to down the line. We don't want to be back there again. Yeah, I think 2016 was the emphasis of what exactly, what exactly you're talking about right now. And I think that was the most devastating year for me, not the rebuild itself. But mm-hmm. 2016 and having such a great winning team, and then you have injuries, and you have fatigue, and you have everything else. And then all of a sudden, you're finishing fourth place in the division again. Yeah, that was that, that, that was tough. Because it started out, we were on cloud nine, 2016. And, you know, we won a franchise record, I believe, for games in April. And we were, you know, being mentioned on ESPN and, and uh, MLB Network. And then the wheels, when those wheels came off of that 2016 season, that was probably the lowest I felt as a Sox fan in my life. That's exactly when it was for me. And everybody was, you know, oh, we're going to rebuild. And I was like, okay, good. At least we'll have a farm system. And But nobody understood what that meant, which means you're going to be losing for a while. Yeah. And it's it's been tough. I mean, this, they're, they're, these were some thin years. And we had so much to be excited for with the prospects that they brought in. But... You really don't know, like, if you're looking at it from an outsider's perspective and you watch, like, prior to the White Sox, you watch the Astros do it and you watch the Cubs do it, just for two examples, and you're, and it happens faster for when you're watching them do it, but when you're on this side of it and you're waiting and waiting every single day for some news on when these guys are going to start making their way through the affiliate systems, it is a long, grueling process. At least for me it was. It, is, it has felt like, it's been three years, it felt like six years. Yes, it's, it's absolutely brutal, and it's not fun for anybody, but we threw our hat into the ring, and we said, my wife and I said, if they do this in 2017, we're attending all 81 home games, and we did. Um, that was the most games we ever attended, was 89 total for the year, did and you... it was purely because of the rebuild. Right, And we wanted to throw our head into the ring and say, hey, we back you 100% because we understand what you're trying to do. Absolutely. Now, you know, there's been a little bit of problems with that. People don't understand that there's going to be injuries, setbacks, et cetera, et cetera, but that's just how things go. Nothing is as easy as laying it out on the paper. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing that gets lost in translation with regard to the injuries that we've seen and the setbacks that we've seen with some of these prospects is just an out-of-town thing or in-town thing. You know, a lot of Sox fans are like, man, our luck, if we didn't have bad luck, we'd have no luck. But I think there's there's just as many injuries and setbacks in other teams' rebuilds past and previous and, and will be in the future. We just didn't know it. We didn't follow it with such a microscope like we do the White Sox rebuild. So it, it was we thought nothing of it. But it's not like the White Sox are the first team to ever have setbacks in their rebuild. Correct. And that's, that's, that's kind of frustrating correct. because people are like, people get mad about it. How can you get mad? The guy got hurt. It's nobody's fault. Right. You can't predict these things. I mean, right now I'm, I'm staring at Jake Berger going, oh, this is terrible. But there's nothing <laughs> you can do about it. No, not at all. And it's, a, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, too. And we, you know, we as fans, a lot of times make the mistake, whether we intend to or not, of treating or referring to players as pieces of property, essentially, and rather than actual human beings. And, you know, like a guy like Jake Berger is a perfect example. He was a highly uh, rated prospect coming out of college. We drafted him high in the first round, and there was a lot of hopes for him. And, and the kid gets hurt, and then he gets hurt again, and he gets hurt again, and he gets hurt again. And all we can talk about is the negatives about it. Never once taking a second to think about this kid's whole future that was right in front of him, it was right within reach, is just crumbling in front of his eyes right now. Right, exactly. And, and that's the personal side of the business. You know, it's people um, don't understand what the mentality of the prospects go, to, go through. And that's another thing I try to do is reach out to the prospect when they're in the minor leagues and just try to encourage them I, they probably get enough of it from coaches and stuff but it I, I assure you it's nice to hear from fans they really enjoy it oh absolutely without a no, doubt I mean especially with all the other negative you know they they have Twitter they have Facebook you know they're they're not blind or immune to the criticism that's that's flying around you know their name on a daily basis if if that's where they're at. So I, I can guarantee you they appreciate what, you know, fans like yourself do to make sure that they know that we do appreciate their efforts. Right. You, um, okay, go ahead. Hold on. I, I got to get that back here. I, I, you, we were talking about your wife and you guys going to all 81 games when they started the rebuild, kind of as a, a sign to tell the organization, you know, hey, we, we back you, we're on board, we appreciate you picking a direction. Um, how tough is it to, from the, that year forward, to continue to try to hold that same uh, loyalty towards, you know, the cause? I mean, it's not... This last offseason kind of was tough for both of us because we put so much stock into it. Um, I think more along the lines that... No, we were told by people that are close to the organization that they were trying to land the two big free agents. And, you know, the, the, the setting was correct. Everything was right. They had the money. They had everything set in place. But, I mean, clearly they were outbid. I mean, there was no sense of urgency on their end. And, there, and honestly, there shouldn't have been to fork over that kind of money. But at the same time, they could have easily done it. So it's a little disheartening. But, I mean, I picked myself up and was like, okay, you know, we should really not look at top-tier free agents this year because of 
what the White Sox have accomplished this last year, especially with Mancada, Anderson, Eloy. Everybody's taken a step up. Everybody that we expected to take a step up took a step up. Some of them were huge. Yeah. I mean, especially Mancada. I mean, that was it's just an outstanding year, completely underrated. Huge year. And you sit there and you go, okay, maybe we don't have to look at these. You know, we don't have to look at Cole. We don't have to look at Strasburg. We don't have to look at Rendell. Those would be nice. But those are very expensive commodities to have. And you still have to keep this core together. I understand there's also, you know, they're $50 million under the average MLB payroll right now mm-hmm. from last year. So they're at $84 million. Average payroll was $134 million last year. That's $50 million. That's a lot of money. Then you can extend that out and say, okay, they're $124 million under the payroll, uh, the, the soft cap, or whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, luxury tax. Now, going forward, you still have to keep that core in place. They still need to extend Mancada and Giolito, at least. Absolutely. And they're going to command a lot of money. Uh, there's just there's just so much they have to do. This offseason is crucial to put certain things in place. And they've started off very well. I have zero problems with what they've done. And people getting upset about extending the Brayu is this is just them giving him what he deserves. Absolutely. What he that that really <laughs> that really aggravated me the other day when one day they give out the largest contract in team history to a free agent by and land Grandal right out of the gates, right. which that was he, crucial to laying out the, the plan for the rest of the offseason and, and getting the rest of those pieces. So we're everybody's on cloud nine. Thank God the White Sox finally did something. This is awesome. And the next day they extend to Brayu, three years, $50 million. And, it, and the first thing everybody can say is, it, oh, that's too much. That's too much to commit to a, a first baseman at that age. Or he's going to transition to DH you know, in the next year or two, or we're going to be mad at the end of the contract. Who cares? James Fagan of The Athletic put it best, in my opinion. Jose Abreu has sat through all of these rebuilding years just like you and I, and this is just his reward. Right. This is exactly what he deserves. He is the leader of the team. Everybody loves him. He is getting paid what he deserves, and I said three years, 45. So Mm -hmm. $5 is not going to... It's not going to hurt me one way or another, especially in over three years. Forget it. It's negligible. Right. The, the thing about that is it, it, wouldn't, it doesn't put a dent in the payroll. It doesn't even affect anything. The, the contracts that will come up for the future are not going to be impacted. Your Robert, your Madrigal, your Vaughn, uh, you know, that, that I foresee being with the team in the future – are not going to be impacted by a Abreu or even Grandal. Right. I mean, these are they won't even be in their arbitration years yet. So who cares? I totally That's agree. My point. I I totally agree, and it, it's kind of like it's you, you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. If you're the White Sox, sometimes you know, and the White Sox don't always get it right, but when they when they do get it right, it's it's just not good enough. Sometimes you know, it's. This fan base, a lot of times, and ourselves included in it, it just feels so insufferable. You know, it doesn't matter what goes right. We're just always so fo- hyper focused on anything we can find in the negative, and it's it's frustrating. 
I, I cannot find anything negative this offseason. Nothing, not one thing. I mean, they could have paid Yomer $6.2 million and it wouldn't have bothered me because it really, in the grand scheme of things, means nothing. You know, people would have just been upset that they're overpaying him, but so what? I mean, it still doesn't do anything to anybody. No. It I... doesn't affect the bottom line. So, you know, but, I mean, they, they, they did what they did, and I don't, I don't, you know, it's a business. I can't blame them for that either. Is he worth that? No. But could they afford it? Yes. So either way, you know, it, it doesn't bother me. Right. Yeah. No. I'm. I'm with you on that. I'm. I'm. I'm happy as can be right now with this offseason and the and the direction it's taken. Um, what are your thoughts on Zach Wheeler? I mean, at this point, it seems like that the White Sox are in the front of the pack in the bidding for Wheeler. The Twins are right next to us, um, and you know everybody else is just kind of fading away from it. You think the Sox land Wheeler, and if they do, are you happy with it? Is it the best pitcher for the price on the market, or would you have wanted them to shoot a little bit higher? Um, for the most bang for your buck is going to be Wheeler by far. I mean, there's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I looked at all the stats for every picture that's out there, and I'm just going, well, they, I mean, that's your main target. You, you, you shoot too high with a Cole or a Feldberg, and you, if they get injured, everybody's going to be upset. I mean, look at the John Dake situation. People were fuming over John Dakes, and he, he's going to make less than Wheeler will and half of what Strasburg and Cole mm-hmm. are making. So I look at it as kind of um, he's definitely the third best pitcher on the market. There, it, no ifs, ands, or buts. Uh, that's, that's what I've come to the conclusion of, and that should be their main target. I mean, you're, you're talking about the difference of between 13 and $16 million a year. And you're going to have Seeds and Kopech break out the next couple of years. They are going to be outstanding pitchers, no matter what people say or, you know, oh, they had Tommy John, oh, they're, you know, they're not good right now. These guys have the pedigree. They have the attitude. I've talked to them on numerous occasions. I mean, just outstanding mentalities. These guys have it. And not to mention Giolito. I mean, let's just forget about him and his outstanding season. They, people aren't seeing the whole picture. They're just looking at 2020. Right. And you, you have to look beyond that and say, this team is going to keep be competitive for several years, and these people have to – you have to still lock these people up. And then you have to go forward and understand where your finances are at that point. We do have – an owner, you know, I, I'm not a big Reinsdorf fan, but I understand that we have constraints, and we have to be able to work within those constraints. So if he goes to 174 million or 135 million or whatever, uh, we should be really happy as a fan base, especially if we can keep that core together. Yeah, that is essential, and this the core isn't you know, five free agents in one year, they are staggering it on purpose. So all these people come up as free agents at one time. It's actually very smart, but people don't see it that way. They're like, oh, bring them up now, bring them up now. It's like, <laughs> you, you, you do that now, you're going to have the same situation the Cubs are going to have next year where they have five free agents. And they don't, yeah. you know, they're trying to extend some of them now, but, there goes your there goes your window. It's gone. Bye. 
Absolutely. I, I, I laugh about it when you say that because you, that's, that has been one of the most recurring themes this, throughout this whole process is bring them up now, bring them up now. And, and the jokes, the, the endless agonizing jokes about the service time manipulation and everything. And it's, nobody, it's, it's nobody's fault. It's just the way the, that the collective bargaining agreement is written. It's not, nobody's trying to do anything wrong to anybody. I, and you're absolutely right. They have set themselves up in a very good position to be able to retain at least the bulk of this core. Right. I mean, that's the idea. You want to keep your you want to keep your, your young guys around as long as possible. Eloy was an excellent example of that. Actually, it actually started with Tim Anderson, but you know, Eloy is perfect. I mean, that's a great contract, and and they should be really happy they got that done. Yeah, I was ecstatic when that happened. Um, not only, not just because he was going to be up on opening day, but because he locked him up, and it just it just eliminated the whole impending uh, arbitration year conversation where everybody starts to freak out about his arb years and are we going to trade him and is he going to you know what's he going to be worth? Uh, that's that's all gone now, and it's I think it's he's here through twenty twenty six on this extension, so that's a long time to have to to be comfortable with him around and not have to worry about it. So. Right, exactly. That's exactly. He's here until he's thirty. I mean, just look at it that way. That's insane. Yeah, it's absolutely. Like, I'll take it. On that note, what do you think is going to happen with Luis Robert this spring? You know, we saw Eli, Eli, Luis Roberts essentially in the same exact path and position that Eli was um, last February, March. He... I, I'm hoping the same same type of contract. I'm I'm sure Luis Robert will probably. Um, get more money because he doesn't have any holes in his game. He's a bit of a free swinger. You know, he doesn't walk a lot, but when he hits the ball, it goes a long way. It's like Jimenez. But he's also a excellent defender in the outfield. So you're, he's going to command a little more money, but I would like to see him locked up at least on the same sort of contract as Eloy until about eight years, uh, you know. But I can see him getting between 90 and 100 million in those eight years. And that'd be fair. I'd be, I'd, I could live with that all day, every day. As any of us should. I mean, the guy is, he's going to be a powerhouse. So there's no way. I, I mean, people can look at all these and they're like, you know, prospects or suspects, stuff like that. But you, when you watch enough of the minors, you know who's going to become really good and who's not so it's not you know you're not watching just the bottom rung of the ladder going oh well this guy's going to make it because you know he's hitting this at this level these guys even magical hit at every level it wasn't even it's not even fair I mean they were video game good mm-hmm. I mean, you know you can't create players that are that good sometimes you know unless you're putting it on a rookie level and, and blowing up your everything to 99 it, it doesn't exist so these people are you know keep commenting like oh well we don't know they're suspects no these guys aren't suspects no yeah you're these right they're going to be really good players and you should really just smack yourself in the back of the head for thinking they're not <laughs> Speaking of, of the minor leagues and and suspects versus prospects, I mean, there's 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 a different class there, right? So Luis Robert is definitely going to be a stud. He's not a suspect. And guys like Luis Robert, Madrigal, Vaughn, guys like that that are, 
you know, blue chippers and destined to succeed. That's one thing. And the, but then there is a tier of guys that uh, we don't really know about. But you guys spend a lot of time yourself, and Ian Eskridge does a great job of bringing a lot of minor league video highlights and clips onto the page and creating that conversation. If you had to pick one minor league player right now that wouldn't fall into that blue chip category that you think has the best chance to join that core at some point, who would you who would you pick? Well, I've been hyper focusing on right fielders, and I did have a nice trip to Birmingham this uh, this last off season. So I'm a little biased towards uh, Luis Basabi. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a switch hitting guy that can hit for power on both sides of the plates. I mean, he took. Uh, like, oh man, Green! I forgot his first name. The, the guy at Cincinnati drafted, and uh, oh yeah, took him, he, Hunter during, Hunter during Green. The, yeah, Hunter Green. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I took him deep during that. Uh, man, I'm having brain farts. With the what do they call it? The All World. The uh, the futures the, well, the futures game. Is it the Futures game? Was that the uh, Yeah, I think it was for the younger players. Oh, okay, yeah, they right, not the one during the main, during the All Star event, but for the for the minor leagues. Right. So, yeah, he took a he took him deep, and I was like, wow, you know that's that's what you want to see. And then watching him uh, over the years and watching his stats and everything else, you're like, okay, this guy he's raw, but he's got it, and he's just turning. 21, so he and he was injured all last year, so I, I see him breaking out in a major way this year. I mean, major. That would that would be excellent. I mean, he was considered one or two, you know, lottery tickets in the uh, in the, in the trade with uh, Boston for sale in Mankata, and for him, if he was to hit, if that lottery ticket was to hit, and he's he's young, man. You you think he's older because this trade was now a few years ago. And we've been hearing his name for a long time. You get kind of a name fatigue, and I thought he was a lot older than that. So to hear that he's just turning twenty one, I mean, that changes that changes the outlook on him a lot. Yeah, I'm double checking that to make sure that I'm right. I think that's right because he has a twin brother too, so they're both the same age. Oh, well, of course, it is. I just said that was. Redundant. <laughs> Twin brother, right? <laughs> I didn't even catch it until you caught yourself. <laughs> 23 now. Yeah, 23. 23. That's my bad. That's all right. Even at, even, I mean, 23, even at 23, I, there's still plenty of time for him to pan out, and especially if you're looking at him being someone to supplement your core a couple years down the line. I like that. That's a good pick. Yeah, it's a world. What was this? I have a picture right here. I think it was the World Baseball Classic. What it was? Just talking about him being injured. Yeah, we know he broke his hand, and then something else happened, and then something else happened. I mean, talk about just a bad season. Tough, a and, tough string of luck. You know, but by the time I was down there, um, I it was uh, the day before Labor Day, so it was Labor Day weekend on that Sunday. I just I was watching him like focusing on him and watching him and going you know this guy's got it he's just got to put it together and and start getting up there but I mean he's already in Birmingham so he's not really not that far right yeah no I mean he's he's I I think AAA is is a bypass 
we haven't seen it a bypass league. I mean, we haven't seen it in years. This used to be how it was. Double A was the thick year talent, and and players that really excelled at a high level in Double A would just make the jump straight to Major League Baseball and just bypass Triple A, where you have a lot of your career minor leaguers reside. But it, it has, right. for whatever reason, over the last five to ten years, we haven't seen as much of that. So I mean, well, we won't. Quintana, I think, was the last one. Um, we don't see it because we're not we're not competing right now. Right. So we're not going to see that that jump, and they, we want them to even play against the the four A players or whomever to make you know just to see if they can compete. And it's like, yeah, I mean, Madrigal and, and Robert made them look like you know nothing. It was just a joke, and you know people they shut the door on Mercedes, uh, your Mercedes too, and that's another guy who just completely raked. So, I don't know what they're going to do with him, especially having five catchers on the 40-man. Mm-hmm. You know, something's got to give there. Um, and I don't know what they're going to do. I know that they want to have a third catcher type, you know, as the 26th man on the roster this year, but I'm not sure, you know, what if they're going to keep all five of them on the 40-man. I mean, that's that's a lot. That's so, tough. That's, that's a lot of depth there behind the plate. I, I mean... I know Ricky likes to portray that he, you know, he loves McCann. He might, he might genuinely really feel that way about James McCann. But I think McCann at the, at this point becomes expendable. He's a major. I, I, I'm good with leaving them both back there. I love the depth of it, but it's it, that's a luxury. And if you're if you keep McCann, you're shutting the door on on Collins and or Mercedes. If you if you move McCann right now, while he's going to have the highest value he'll probably ever have, you get something back in return. And you get to you get a longer look at the other two guys on the forty man at that position. I, I agree with that. I as much as I would love McCann to just stay and be the backup. Um, I mean, there's just there's a lot of depth there, and you can get something back for McCann. Mm-hmm. So I mean, if you package him with somebody, you might be able to pull off a trade for the right builder they're looking for. I you know I don't know I, honestly or bullpen piece. I, I really don't know. Um, this offseason is probably more of a conundrum than I would have expected mm-hmm. um, coming into the year because there's just so many things that happened this year that put a lot of other things in flux. You know, it's just like you, my mind is going a million miles per hour about the different ways they can put together a, a at least a 500 team for, for 2020. And that's what I'm really looking for. Uh, I'm not looking for, you know, playoffs or anything else. It'd be nice to talk about it, but I'm not expecting it. I expect the team to be all, you know, wheels off the ground, taking off in 2021. Right. And I expect the playoffs in 2021. If I don't get it, I'll probably throw some sort of tantrum. <laughs> but it'll be, it'll be on social media. It won't be anything, you know, major or big. So, um... Yeah, I just, I, we just have more of a realistic approach. We're, we're trying to you know, temper expectations at the same time, keep, keep people optimistic. Right. So, it's a good know, that's balance. kind of the approach that we have. We're not trying to, like, you know, tell every, everything's negative, everything's bad. It's not. Everything's great. Everything's, you know, wonderful. All these prospects are going to hit. They won't. So, you know, that's, that's just the even keel that we try to have. Uh, let's see. Um, yeah, I mean, as far as that's concerned, you add 
Wheeler, you add another starting pitcher. And honestly, my take, which is probably pretty interesting because no one's even said this, is to actually maybe have a six-man rotation next year because they have to limit the innings on Kopech. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's a good that's a that's a great point. It's an interesting point, especially if they do land Wheeler and they do bring in another you know back end of the rotation guy, a, a one year, two year maybe stopgap deal, Dallas Keuchel type of deal. I don't know. I don't really know if I like Dallas Keuchel for the money. He made thirteen point two million last year. He had a halfway decent year in the hundred and thirty or forty innings he pitched. So he's probably going to command around the same thing again. Yeah, see, I don't, I don't care about the money. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I really don't. It, it's all about, um, for me, the money is negligible because it's a one-year deal. That's I don't true. care what they pay somebody. They can pay someone $30 million to come in for one year, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and it wouldn't faze me. But, yeah, Keiko, I can see, like, no, okay, maybe 10 mil, you know, come in for one year and then, you know, send them packing or even, like, a, a Hamels. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't have a problem with any of that stuff because people forget about and don't talk about Rodon and uh, Rodon, Rodon anymore. See, I, I, I correct people all the time and then I say it. <laughs> um, people forget about Rodon and what's going to happen with him. We don't know. You know, is he going to end up in the bullpen? Is he could be a high leverage reliever, or we can put him back in the rotation? We don't know. Right. So, there's another arm right there that people are not talking about because he's not going to be there for 2020. However, he will be there in 2021. Mm-hmm. And he will be full strength. So, what you know, one year right there is enough. It doesn't really matter. What do you think about Reynaldo Lopez? Where are you at, where are you at on, on Reynaldo in terms of his long-term projection here? I would like to see him go back and to his first year. <laughs> that, was <a> lot <laughs> I, I, <laughs> that would be awesome. I, uh, I was kind of surprised how much he regressed. And, you know, a lot of people put that on Don Cooper. I won't do that. Um, I actually spoke to a, a, a pitching expert regarding this. And it's not that, you know, they always say he loses focus. And it's not that he loses focus. He loses what they refer to as tension in the business. He he doesn't keep his edge. Once he usually gets two out, he kind of lets, you know, lets things happen. And as soon as he reaches a certain amount of innings, he does the same thing. He just kind of relaxes. He mm-hmm. doesn't keep the same tension or intensity that he should when he's facing the batter. And we saw that when he, his last start, I think, uh, Renteria went out there a couple times and was like, looked like he wanted to smack him around a little bit. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what he's talking about. He's just not keeping that same intensity, that same tension you have to have when you face all three batters. You have to get all three outs. You know, you can't just, you know, can't get two. That's not how the game works. So, he's still young, despite what people say. You know, it's like, he's still, he has a really good chance if he can fix that mentality. Right. Because he can absolutely be dominant. He probably has the best stuff on the team as far as arsenal, total arsenal. He has it. He just 
all of a sudden you'll just see him start walking people after two outs, and you're like, what are you doing, man? You're right. <laughs> What's going on? Where, why are we, you know, why are we in this position? There's two outs. You know, get the, get the last guy out. You already, you know, and then he'll have a game where he's, what, he struck out 14, 15? Uh-huh. And you're just like, where is this? You know, where's this guy, you know, all the time? So, I, for me, I think um, there's no way that I would give up on him quite yet. I, other than that, he's going to end up in the bullpen as a high leverage reliever, which again, we're, it's good, a good problem to have because there's there's opportunity there too, and you can get paid a lot of money to be a bullpen pitcher. Nowadays. Sure, and it alleviates. I mean, if if he does, if he if he goes to the bullpen here in Chicago, if he gets put moved into the bullpen as a high leverage reliever, it's because they have somebody to replace him in the rotation at this point. I don't think they take a step backwards. If they do it, it's because it was calculated and there's somebody to take a spot so in turn they're also eliminating a need in the bullpen on the you know outside of the team to go get a reliever via trade or via free agency they're going to put him and slide him in there and it's one less thing to worry about right that's exactly what i'm thinking it's it it would really depend i mean right now he's he's your as long as they add another starter he's your fifth starter Mm -hmm. so without a doubt of course when Colpac comes back up um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think they're, I think they're going to get the extra year of service for him. I think that they're, they also want him to, uh, get acclimated to the game again at AAA. It's not a bad thing. Everybody's like, oh, they should just bring him up. No, no, they really shouldn't because no. he's just going to get lit up. Yeah, no, so, I, I wouldn't want to see him overdo it because we, we've seen the type of person that he is to an extent yeah. and he's a fierce competitor and, right. He's he's the he's, nice, nicest guy in the world until he gets on that mound. Uh huh. So I think I think after I think if you if you were to throw him right back into the fire, right right after coming off Tommy John beginning of the season, I think he might overdo it. I think you might have a potential for him to fall on his face at that point. His I think his what would be a huge problem would be his control. Right. Oh, absolutely. He's got a. When I saw him. Uh, in the video, uh, um, Eric, oh man, so bad with names now. The guy, he, he's, he covers the minors, I think, for either Fangraphs. Oh, Eric Lonerhagen? Yes. Mm-hmm. And when I saw the video that he posted, I'm like, oh yeah, he, you know, he looked good there, but of course he's, he's facing inferior people. Right. And like he said, and we can't really see everything, he said, you know, his, his control's not there. Mm-hmm. Oh, in, in instructs at the end of the, this past year. Right. And I'm going, well, but, you know, people were like, oh, it's control. I'm just like, are people really freaking out about this right now? <laughs> yeah. Like, the guy just took a year off. I'm like, come on. Absolutely. You, you can't have control after a year. You can't just jump back on a mound and be like, oh, this is I, it's like riding a bike. No, it's not. <laughs> Jeez. No, not at all. It's not even close to being the same. That's one of the worst comparisons people use for professional sports, professional athletes, and what they do is comparing it to right. regular everyday life things like riding a bike. Um, yeah, let's, let's ride the bike, and uh, yeah, he'll just he'll get right back on there. He'll be locating all his braking pitches. <laughs> he'll, he'll be set. He'll be set. Yeah, he's ready for the first of the year or the first uh, the first game. No, it doesn't work that way. Absolutely. Give me. Your bold prediction for 2020. It could be 
a breakout performance by a player. It could be a, a massive regression that you might see come in or, or anything in between. I actually have a, a couple. I mean, one of them's really simple. I mean, Cease is going to break out this year. Um, that's a given. I mean, that's just looking at the guy, talking to him and his demeanor, just one of those guys who's just like, he, he's, the guy's huggable. I mean, he's, just, he's so nice. And then, then when he gets on the mound, he's just like, you know, so intense. And people don't see it. He's a lot like John Garland in that in that aspect where he's just he has that calm demeanor, but he's not. I mean, he's raging on the inside. He's just cool as a cucumber and just chill. So I'm not even worried about him. I think he's going to break out. I think the person that we're going to see regress actually is uh, Coleman. Um, I'm not a big fan. Uh, he, he, I think a lot of his stuff is more luck than it is, uh, than it is stuff. Uh, right. I just all his all his uh, stats and everything just points that it doesn't look good. I mean, either he's just I I don't know how to explain it. I don't even know how he had the year he had, honestly. I agree. I think I think Colin May, he's 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 definitely due for a regression to the mean. Um, I think his a lot of his numbers last year were like you said luck, and I don't think that he's the long term solution at closer. But I also don't think you really need to figure that out right now. I mean, we're they're doing yeah. they're doing doing a good job addressing of addressing more pertinent holes with long term solutions. So. I'm not too worried about the back end of the bullpen. That usually seems to have a way of figuring itself out as long as you've got a good, uh, you know, plethora of arms in the system. Yeah, they did a good job last year with what they had, actually, and people seem to forget that. They did piece together a decent bullpen, even with all the injuries, and people don't realize how many injuries they were to the bullpen. Yes. They, I have no problem with that. They did what they could with what they had. Absolutely, and, and they did a great job um, bringing people up, sending them down. You know, going with the hot hand, even going with the hot bat at the right time. Uh, people didn't see that either. I, every time someone was taking off in AAA, they were brought up. Mm-hmm. It was it, it was very smart on their part, and everybody's like, "Oh, this guy's good. Why don't the White Sox keep him? You'll see in about two weeks, <laughs> right? You know why they're not going to keep yeah. this guy? You know, people were having a crush Danny Mendick. Just wait. <laughs> Danny Mendick was like the, that guy who, who stuck out, and everyone's like, "Man, you know, we should really take a take a long look at Danny Mendick. He could he could really be the future somewhere." I'm like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> no, uh, he he's exactly the role that he should be in. He's going to be a bench player, and mm-hmm. he'll be able to he'll be able to play above average defense, and he'll be a good bat. He's not and for the round that he got. And the fact that he made it to the majors, I give him all the credit in the world. That is extremely hard to do. Yeah. I mean, it was a great story, absolutely. And I, now that I'm thinking about it, um, man, he had a, he had an interesting story. I, I'm drawing a blank now, but you just jogged my memory a little bit. I remember when he came up, did he not go – did he not Did he not play college baseball? Or, or he got – he, he, he ended up at a, at a junior college? I now I want to look this up because I remember when it came up. It obviously it ties in with the, with the baseball and softball facility we got, and I remember sharing it with with some of the kids. Uh, yeah, I 
more, uh, I'm trying to figure out, Kemendik? I think he did go to college. It looks like he went to... He just was a late, late round pick. He, him and Adam Engel... Yeah, 22nd round. Yeah, him and Adam Engel, to me, are anomalies. You know, people that get picked that late and make it to the bigs, mm-hmm. no matter what, I mean, even if they're considered 4A players, it, it, it's just, it, it's crazy to me. I just think that's outstanding. They're a total underdog, and they literally have no chance, but they made it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we wrap it up, I want you to give me your favorite in-person fan experience. I mean, you've got you've got a lot of them because you've attended more ball games than most people are going to attend in their lifetime. So you give me your favorite in-game experience. Oh Lord, Monica, you want to help me out with this one? Look <laughs> 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 at me like, oh, favorite in-game experience. Oh Lord. Um, oh jeez, I've been to too many games. I, um, <laughs> I know it's hard. It's it's a harder question than it seems at the surface for somebody who's you know a pair of people who've been to so many ball games. Right, you know, if you go to like one ball game a, a year, this would be really easy. Uh-huh. <laughs> but we go to so many in-game experience. I mean, I wow. Whatever you come up with right now, in about an hour, you're going to be like, damn, that's actually my favorite. I don't know why I didn't think of that. Yeah, it's all right, though. I, I'm think, I mean, I, I've had a lot of interaction with the players' families. I mean, I think that's probably the most fun because they absolutely love that, you know, when you go on the road and you, you're there for the White Sox. Uh, I think that's probably the best in in-game experiences, but I mean, as far as being like at the park, oh man, yeah, it, 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 yeah. There's no way that you could top the blackout game. Yeah. There's, there's no way. I mean, that. Jeez, I mean, there's that was just intense. I mean, you could just feel the electricity in the air. It was crazy. I mean, that, that's that was probably. As far as a fan, that's as good as it gets. If I'm, if I, I've seen people post this online. If you're going to bring one person to a game and convince them that this is their team and that this is the game that they should be watching for their team, I would bring them to that game. Yeah, I think it was, it that's, was crazy. That's you a, were on the edge of your seat that whole game. That's a great analogy. Uh, I was actually coincidentally listening to Lawrence Holmes and Chris Ranji having a conversation on, on Lawrence's House L podcast the other day, and they were they brought up the blackout game, and they described it. The, the way that they describe it, and the way that somebody who was there can intimately describe it, could make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. So, I mean... Yeah, it was. It was that intense. It was crazy. And then when it was over, you just felt this, like, big thing of relief. And that year, we went to uh, 63 games. And, um... I, and that... The, the day before that game, if you look at the video when Alexi hit the Grand Slam, mm-hmm. we were in George Jacobs' seats for that game. Wow. We were Monica and I were right there, and my brother and my one of my closest friends. That's we were awesome. right in his seats for that game. We had we had gotten those tickets because of. Uh, it was just going to be a regular Detroit game in, in September, and then it got rained out. Uh huh. So we held on to the tickets. 
just in case. And we ended up, that's where we ended up. You can see us clear as day in those seats during that uh, game, yeah, game 162. That's awesome. I'm going to have to go back and look at that now. Yeah, it's hilarious. And we were, oh my, and it was the three-hour rain delay before the game. We were drunk. <laughs> it, we were so, we were hammered. All four of us were like, oh my God. You know, it was like unlimited booze. We were, holy cow. I mean, by the time we even walked on the field after three hours of just sitting in the in the uh, scout lounge, oh my God, yeah, we were already... And we were, you know, Minnie Minuto was in there. I have a picture of uh, my my close friend and Monica wearing the World Series ring that they gave him. That's awesome. It was awesome. It was a great, that's a great fan day experience, too. I I have to admit that. There's another game. That that whole weekend was phenomenal. We went to those five straight games, and they they had to play three different teams in three different days. Mm -hmm. By the time we were done with, the blackout game, we were exhausted <laughs> mentally and physically. I couldn't even imagine what the players felt like. Yeah, I could imagine. I mean, talk about just getting beat up. It was just like, oh god, that's a lot. I mean, I, you can almost you can almost feel for them going into you know the playoffs after that and going into Tampa and having a really shitty series. I mean, it, yeah, that that all came down to Carlos Quinton. And again, you you have no farm. Again, same problem. You know, they, well, yeah, Vasquez was terrible that year. He couldn't get past the fifth inning. It was just terrible. So we're, you know, when we did all that, and um, and once Carlos Quinton went down and then they got Ken Griffey, I was like, great. <laughs> you're, you're replacing a guy who is having an MVP year with a guy who, can barely hit the ball now. Yeah, ready so, to hit the retirement. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. When that happened, just for <laughs> just for my own selfish purposes, growing up, Griffey was it. I mean, every kid that right. grew up oh, in the yeah. '90s. We were always happy when they got some, you know, Manny Ramirez or yeah. whoever. We're always like, oh hell yeah, bring him on over. And then you watch them, you're like, oh god. Yeah, this yeah, is not the same and guy. Then these <laughs> man crushes coming true. You know, it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We always said that. We're like, oh, Kenny always gets his man. That's right. So, I mean, we've been saying that for over a decade now, so it's nothing new. Um, but, yeah, it's just funny uh, that how that worked out. And we were just, yeah, that was incredible. That whole entire weekend was just incredible. That's, so, that sounds yeah, like I am. I'm glad we're past I, that whole Kenny getting his man thing stage, though. It seems like we don't have to worry about that anymore. No, I think we saw that a little bit. Uh, you know, 2013, 2014, 2015, even 2016. Yeah, James Shields is another one. Oh. <laughs> uh, and, you know, people are always like, oh, well, you know, Rick Hahn's the GM. I, I'm like, this is a typical Kenny Williams move. Though. Yeah, absolutely. You know, people, people don't realize that's his boss. Mm-hmm. Right. So Everybody like, acts uh, like they stuck Kenny Williams in a closet somewhere and he doesn't have any decision-making authority anymore. <laughs> he is the CEO of the White Sox. Right. <laughs> Everybody's like, well, Kenny's gone now. We don't have to worry. He's not gone. He's not anywhere. He's right there. And he does a great job recruiting and scouting and stuff like that. He does. He brought in Luis Robert. He, 100% Rick Hahn and uh, somebody else told me, oh, yeah, he was, he was in on it 100%. Well, that's great. At least he's getting paid. You know, he's getting paid for something. Yeah. 
It's certainly not oh, talking, yeah. though. I really wish he would stop talking. He's not doing he himself or this or or his coworkers any service by opening his mouth. Well, that's the other thing. Is he was, that's why nobody liked him as GM, is because every time he talked, it was just like, God, he's so condescending. Oh, man. So you're just like, you know, not everybody is dumb, Kenny. Not everybody <laughs> right. is dumb. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> like, that, we get it. You know, you that's why everybody he, is him no, and him and Joe, Joe Colley battled for so many years because Joe Colley was the type of reporter who was like, you know, don't treat the fans like idiots because they invest a lot into your product. So don't, you know, don't treat them like idiots. And Kenny was the ultimate treat the fan like an idiot executive. So that's why those two guys constantly butted heads. Right. It's just it's not true. I know there's a lot of smart fans out there. There's also a lot of dumb fans out there. But that's very true. That's, that's every fan base. So, um, so when it comes down to, you know, this whole thing, and everybody's like, oh, you know, when they flip, when they switch philosophies and everything like that, I'm like, what you're saying is just a different direction that the GM now had in mind from the beginning, but wasn't allowed to put that in play. Right. And I tried to tell people that and they just go well then he no he's Teflon he's Teflon Rick I'm like he if you look at you know when they introduce the executives of of the team and how they break it down they talk about Rick Hahn being part of the architect of 2005 mm-hmm. yes he's Teflon Rick and so is Teflon Williams right they're not going to be fired they're Nothing. never going to be fired they brought a championship to the, to the city that's mm-hmm. just how Jerry operates sorry but they both have different ideas on how to run the organization. And what we're seeing now from 2017 on is Rick Hahn's baby. So that's just it. Right. It's his idea. It's his philosophy. I've sat down. I've talked to him. I've been in meetings with him. I, whatever. This is what, this is his, this is his thing. Absolutely. His, there's no, there's no advantage or buts about it. He has to, reconstruct that entire farm system because it was complete garbage and everybody's upset about the farm system being garbage all the time and you're they're like they're, they have these epiphanies like oh man they're getting this to Kannapolis now well duh there was nothing in place before he's for done. years decades yeah. why are you surprised the farm system was almost a thing that, I mean, it was so bad for so long in Chicago that it, it almost felt at times like it didn't exist. You know, if you were if you were a Chicago White Sox fan, but really just a Chicago White Sox fan, you didn't pay much attention to the rest of the league, you know, beyond the day-to-day box scores. You didn't have much knowledge of even how the, how the affiliate systems even worked. Correct. Yeah, I've been following religiously since 2007. Mm-hmm. Aaron Pareda was my first draft I ever paid attention to. <laughs> and from there, they really, really tried to draft position players, except for, of course, Chris Sale, and try to develop them. Mm-hmm. And they fell on their face every single time. Yeah. And so Rick Hahn took over and started the development. And if you read what Tim Anderson said, which is exactly what I thought, is they didn't have anything for position players. They just sent you out there and played. Right. There was nothing in place. There was not. 
they didn't have any sort of uh, any list. There was no checklist or anything else. And that, that's what's funny is when Rick Hahn says that. Check the I boxes. Know what he's talking about because <laughs> he does have a damn checklist. They didn't have that before. Yeah. That's why everybody mocks it. It's like you don't get it. There was no checklist before. They, right. they didn't care. They're bringing up Gordon Beckham. They're bringing up Marcus Simeon. They're bringing up all these players, and they sucked. Yeah, absolutely. Only because they weren't prepared. They were. There was no development. They just let him play. Yeah. So now we see Tim Anderson with some development, and he's getting a lot better. Is he going to hit three thirty-five next year? No. no. But he'll probably hit close to around three hundred. And I told people that from the beginning. He's probably about a three hundred hitter. And that's fine. I mean, give me three, give me three hundred, year in and year out, and I'll be happy as a pig and shit. I mean, it's it's your shortstop. If he can hit three hundred and and he can play better defense, I really wish Tim. I don't think Tim's as egregious of a shortstop as most people do. I think that he makes some. I think that he has a lot of range and a lot of good attributes. I think he just his head isn't always in the right place when it comes to making decisions. I think that he he tries too hard. Mm. That's number one. He's trying to make plays he shouldn't try to make. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is he doesn't have a first baseman that can pick the ball. Great point. That's the other thing. I watched Guriel in the World Series. I was like, damn, this guy picks everything. Yeah, absolutely. Then, except for that peacock throw. <laughs> but, um, but then, you know, that's, that's the other thing. It was like you, you look at Abreu, and I, I don't know how many times he missed – you know, just a simple bounce. I mean, Canerco easily had those balls. It was, and Abreu just whiffs on them, and it's like, oh, there goes another error for Anderson, and it shouldn't be an error. It wasn't that bad of a throw. Right. You just have to put the glove down and pick it. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I think his error count is inflated by not having a great first baseman over there and, to help and, him out. And try to make, and pressing. He does press. He, he presses he a lot. Make, he, yeah, he, he, he has such good range. He over you. He tries to overdo it. I mean, the kid is incredibly athletic. I mean, and he can oh, make a, a lot of plays that other guys can't. But right. he'll come to. He'll have a coming of of the moment where he just understands one day. It's better just to make the take what's in front of me than than try to do these things that you know cause other errors around you. He he makes a lot of low percentage plays that cause other things to go wrong around him. And that's what's, right. that's and, really frustrating. I mean, look at Simi, and he just figured it out this year, and he's 29. Yeah, absolutely. Now there's so, and, they would have, and everybody's like, oh, look how good, you know, look how good that draft pick was. I'm like, they would have <laughs> never developed it. He would have never got that good here, never. Correct. Now he would have, yes, but not that, no. Right. That's what I was saying. I'm like, that wasn't, everybody's like, oh, that was a horrible trade. I'm like, they would have never, vaguely didn't. I mean, would have never became the players they would have been if they stuck around. No, no, not at all. <clears throat> yeah, that's that's my whole story. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Joe. We went, we ran about an hour on this interview, which is fantastic because I mean, this is this is exactly what I wanted to do with these types of segments. And I figured you, you know, when I was thinking about doing this, you were my first my first choice to get on here because I know that you're incredibly knowledgeable and. I think everybody's going to really enjoy listening to your story and, and listening to your, your take on the team. It was really good stuff. Oh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun for me. I love talking baseball. The only one that really listens to me is my wife, though. <laughs> she knows all about the farm system. She knows about everything. And it's mainly because of me, because I'm a, I'm a super nerd. 
Oh, she's probably she's probably smacking you in the back as you say that. So, and here's the thing I didn't, I don't know if I'm still recording, but here's the thing that people don't know about me, is I wasn't a big baseball fan until I met her. Really? I, I was, 83 was my first team, the White Sox. My family took us to, I think my mom took us to, like, maybe one or two games. My uncle took us to a game. I mean, of course, you got Law, you got the Bull, you got Pudge. I mean, you have that whole team, the Laws. And uh, Kittle, you know, that was, we're, we're born into being Sox fans. There's no doubt about that. But mm-hmm. my, my focus went to the Bears. Yeah. I, I love football. And then I met her December 10, 2005, and everything changed. Check that and out. won the World Series. I watched the World Series. I watched everything. It wasn't right. like I wasn't paying attention. But I was, you know, my thing wasn't as close to the team as I am now. And my, and I used to watch, um, I used to read the newspaper before, of course, the internet, and I would watch the box scores every day, and I would watch both the teams. And I was never a Cubs fan, but I never really cared. Right. So, you know, it was just like, whatever. Um, but yeah, people don't really, people don't know that about me. I, I really, really got into White Sox baseball in 2006 because of her. That's very... And I told her, I told her, if I'm getting into baseball, I'm not half-assing it. Right. Because I'm not a, I'm not a half-asser. <laughs> so I, I switched alliances basically from the Bears to the Sox. It, and went all and in, I, too. Oh, I did. And I don't. that's what I told her. I'm like, I don't mess around with this stuff. I want to know everything. I'm, okay. in, I'm naturally inquisitive. I want to know, you know, what how this operation works from top to bottom. I want to know, you know, everything about its affiliates. I want to know, you know, graft. I want to know everything. Rule five, everything. Just so I can just follow along and know what's going on. And people don't realize that baseball is a all-year process. Yeah. It's not just, it's not over when the season's over. So, I mean, you got... Eloy's going to be playing in the Dominican League, right? Oh, yeah, I don't like that. <sighs> yeah, and I don't either, but what can we do about it? No, nothing, but it's just another – I saw that the other day that he was getting ready for it, and I'm like, oh, why? Why? Right. I'm trying to get my defense better. Well, you can just go to Arizona and do that right now. <laughs> yeah, right. So that's what Mancata does. I mean, what? so what? Go with Mancata. Go hang out. Be exactly. Buddy. Go over there at the White Sox facility with their staff and their trainers and, and work out with your teammates over there. Right. So, yeah, I was like, uh, okay, whatever. Um, but, yeah, the same thing. This The sport is year-round now. It's, that's why it makes it so intriguing. It's not like football. You know, you're not sitting around picking your butt for six months. Yeah. I, that's, I think that's where a lot of the intimacy for baseball and, and their fans, like diehard baseball fans, that's that's where it stems from, is that it is a year-round process. There's different phases of it, but it, you're, there's always something to pay attention to, and there's always moving parts to it. And you can stay right. you could stay entertained and interested all year round. If, if that's the only sport you give a shit about, there's something for you to always be interested in with it. Definitely. I think the most boring time is like from January 15th to February 15th. That's about it. Yeah, yeah, that's about the quiet period. The weather sucks and that's it, man. I mean, and there's just nothing going on. It's just like, oh, you know, 
that's we're just picking our butts until spring training starts. Oh so. man, I'll tell you, I can't wait for spring training this year. But uh, Joe, it was fantastic having you on. Don't go nowhere. Um, I'm gonna wrap this up here for recording purposes, but stay on the line. All right. All right, everybody, once again, that was Joe Lorenzana. Joe is the creator of the White Sox exclusive fan page, and that was a ton of fun. Joe is an incredibly smart baseball fan, very well-informed, and he runs a very good uh, fan community. So if you're not already involved in that community, I suggest you head over to Facebook and you become involved with it and uh, get in touch with Joe and get up with him at a Sox game. He's always there, like we talked about in detail. He's a longtime season ticket holder. He attends a ton of games. And I'm sure that uh, you'd have a good time meeting up with him and uh, talking White Sox with him. Um, Look forward to tomorrow early maybe 6 o'clock in the morning, we're going to release an episode um, all about Zach Wheeler. So I've got two guests for tomorrow's episode. The first guest on tomorrow's episode is Tim Ryder of Metsmerized, who reported that the White Sox were the highest bidders for Wheeler um, as recently as Saturday. And then my second guest on tomorrow's episode is going to be Michael Barron, who's covered the Mets for various places such as SNY, Sports New York, and MLB.com. So make sure you check that out. As always, like, share, subscribe, the whole nine yards. If you don't know um, by now, I'm talking about Chi-Town. Jimenez in the air. Left field. He's your hero tonight. and taking it out of the air. Lord Stanley's new address is Sweet Home Chicago. The Chicago Blackhawks.